Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First Naz Podcast. Romans 6, verse 1. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead, and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligations to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord.
May he bless the reading of this, his word. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bill. Let me as, uh, oh, children may leave for children's church now. <laughs> uh, as uh, as you um, just heard from, from Romans chapter 6, let me just remind you a couple of, of things that are happening in the life of our body. To, on Thursday mornings, every Thursday morning, uh, I pray with whoever will pray with me via Zoom at 6 a.m. And so be looking for that link. If you're a part of our prayer chain, you should receive that link on Wednesday uh, afternoon and part of on our prayer text. It comes out at 5.55 on Thursday morning. So it's going to wake you up anyway. You might as well just join the Zoom meeting and pray with us. Uh, an exciting thing happened, I think, uh, is Pastor Becca helping somewhere else? I, I'm just gonna, I was just going to embarrass Pastor Becca. Uh, you, can, you can help me later. Uh, so in order to be ordained that like Pastor Bill and Pastor Ryan and I are in, in the Church of the Nazarene, you go through a long process of education, and Pastor Steve is ordained in the Church of the Nazarene, and there's a handful of others that I'm missing too. Uh, you go through a long process of education, you have to serve in a church for a certain number of years to get experience. You, you have to be mentored. And then annually, you go through a period, of, uh, go through interviews. And so on Friday afternoon, I'm a part of our district. So the 75 churches that work together here in the Northwest, we, we have a board of ordained ministry. And it's the, it's the stuffiest board we have on the district. And we puzzle and, and ponder and parse words and interview candidates. And there she is, Pastor Becca. And Becca and Aaron appeared in, in Spokane on Friday afternoon. I am not as good a board member as they are interviewees. And I was in my, at my dining room table via Zoom. But Pastor Becca and Aaron appeared live and in person in Spokane for what is Becca's final interview prior to ordination. And our Board of Ordaining Ministry voted unanimously to uh, recommend her for ordination to the district. And I'll tell you, as someone who was in the room electronically, she, she was amazing. Uh, it was, there, there was simply no question. There were no... The, we try to ask hard questions, and, and she was asked questions that, that were probing and deep and made sure that she could articulate our faith and theology well, and there was, there was just never a moment where, where we thought, because I have been in those interviews where you kind of, what do you mean when you say? And, uh, and we try to get to the bottom of things. Becca just articulated our theology in the Church of the Nazarene, has educated herself appropriately, has gotten experience, and just no question that God has called her and has gifted her for, for ministry. So we praise God for, for Pastor Becca. Um, and then, man, uh, we, it seems like a while ago because I had Pastor Bill read all of Romans chapter 6. <laughs> we, we sang that last song that we sang, uh, God's goodness is running after us. God's good. It's not just that God is good to us. 
It's not just that, that God is kind and merciful, but which God is kind and merciful. It's that his goodness is running after us. God is not content to let us wallow in our despair. God is not content to let us sit alone and, and live in sin and brokenness. God's goodness is running after us. God is pursuing us day in and day out. There, isn't, there has not been a day in your life when God has not been running after you with his goodness. I am so fired up about uh, Romans and, and what this sermon series that I, I feel like God's laid on my heart. And, and honestly, I feel like I've come to a point where, where it is just, I, I'm delighted to know that the goodness of God is running after me because I am not, I have for, for 15 years as a preacher avoided Romans because I don't feel like I'm qualified and capable to handle it well. And I, I have been happy with, with how I have opened up the book of Romans so far. And then today I find myself kind of at that point where I need God's goodness running after me to help communicate all that, that is here in this passage. Because God's goodness is, is calling out to us. And I think today this passage points to a step in our relationship with God that can be a point where we, we go from sitting and waiting to experiencing God's goodness running after us and that has been pursuing you for longer than you realized you needed it. So, Romans chapter 6. When I was in seventh grade, there was a chess craze that swept through Jennifer Junior High School. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it exactly corresponded with me being cut from the basketball team as a seventh grader, but I do remember it being a good thing that there was something I could beat the taller boys in my class at. And, you know, in seventh grade, there, there isn't 11 and 12 and 13-year-olds, like, there's not a lot of strategy involved in chess at that point. It becomes a battle of attrition. And I remember, like, wondering, how would you ever win this game if you didn't just take every piece that your opponent had before you beat them? And, uh, th but there was that one kid, Matt. I can't remember his last name, Matt. He was blonde. He was, uh, he before anybody else in seventh grade got it, he got chess. He understood it wasn't just like, you know, at, at 11 and 12 and 13, you're just trying to figure out like which, which direction the pieces moved, right? Matt understood chess. And not only did he understand chess, he, he was able to think a couple of moves ahead. And so it was intimidating to play Matt. Not beca just because of his undefeated record against the entire seventh grade at Jennifer Junior High School, but because as soon as you would let your finger off, you know, you would like be looking at, can he beat me if I just put, move this pawn to here? As soon as you would take your finger off, he would move and say, your move. And then you would puzzle and ponder and think, how can I... It, okay, now I got to get that piece that he just moved, and how can I do that? And, and so you would, you know, you would move another piece and ponder and think, and okay, take your finger off of it, and he would move. Your move. And just over and over again, he always knew what he was going to do, regardless of what you did before. He, it was your move. 
Your move. Your move. Matt got it. I still don't understand chess well enough to, to be able to do that. Uh, well, as we continue through the book of Romans, or walk through this series, the Apostle Paul spent a good deal of time talking about sin and the brokenness in our world. He talked about the way that humans have taken the good things that God has placed in their hearts, and we've twisted them, and we've gone after with passion for things that have, have broken God's heart and taken us away from, from his will. The last few weeks, though, we have looked at how God has made a promise to, to redeem us and how God has offered us this, this good word that we could be acceptable to God. And, and we have come to the point where, where no longer are we in broken relationship with God, dishonoring God at every turn. We can now be, as Pastor Bill talked about last week, we can even be friends of God. God can restore us to the point where, where we can be forgiven and reconciled to God. We can, we can have a relationship with God. And, and so as Paul is, is explaining this, this grace that God has offered us and the good news of going from brokenness to whole relationship with God, we get to chapter 6 and Paul, the, the logic of Paul up to this point, it kind of begs a couple of questions because he's been talking about how grace abounds when we sin and how God's grace was there before we knew we needed it. And, and so he asks the question in, in chapter 6, verse 1, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And, you know, I've, I've listened to this question a lot of times. I've read over this question a lot of times. And I, I actually read it and understood what Paul is asking uh, as I've studied for, for this, this sermon series. Because the, the, question, the question, it sounds like, it sounds like Paul's saying, you know, would it be okay? Would it be okay if we kept on sinning? And then, you know, there's always more grace, right? There's always more grace. So why, you know, couldn't we? But that's not, that's not the question. The question isn't, may I go on sinning? Paul is asking, wouldn't it be better? You know, if God's grace is so great when we sin, wouldn't it be better for me if I just continued to sin? I mean, if there's more grace every time I sin, wouldn't, doesn't that mean I would be a recipient of more gift-giving of God, of more goodness from God if I just kept on sinning? Doesn't sinning produce more grace? Isn't there more grace for everybody who sins more? And uh, this, is, uh, this is a pretty interesting question. The, 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 the logic of this really comes from what Paul has been saying. In, in ch just in chapter 4, Paul talks about the way that we ought to rejoice in our trials because, because uh, they produce endurance. And, and he talks about how God has sent Jesus to die for us while we were still mired in sin. And, and that God's great gift of grace is, is greater than all our sin. Wouldn't, shouldn't we make it great? I mean, shouldn't we sin a lot? So there's a lot of grace, you know, if it's always more than the, than the sin that we produce, like, shouldn't we just keep on sinning? And, and it, may be, it may be logical that it takes more grace to, to overcome more sin. You know, when we're talking about forgiveness, it, it does. It, and actually, there, there's a couple of places in the Bible where we might even be able to to think that, like, the, there's, the, the idea of sin being a debt is, is talked about 
on numerous occasions throughout Scripture. Jesus tells the parable of the two debtors. Uh, there's, there's a story that Jesus tells. Um, he says that there, there were two people that owed a debt. One of them owed, you know, a little bit, and one of them owed a lot. And, and then imagine that those two debts were forgiven, and who would be, he, Jesus asked the question, who would be more grateful? And obviously, the person who had the larger debt forgiven is more grateful. And obviously, there was more cost involved for the forgiver of debt, the, of, of the bigger debt, than there, there was when the person forgave the, the smaller debt. And so maybe the logic of like more grace for more sin makes, makes some sense. But in that parable, really, uh, Jesus is talking about the heart of the person who's forgiven. Right? Jesus, in that parable, it, it's the time that a lady who is a known sinner comes and, and pours out her gratitude at the feet of Jesus. And, and Jesus is really, in that parable, he's, he's talking about the idea that that someone who is forgiven a lot will be more grateful. But he, he doesn't make the claim that there, there's more grace for the person who has been forgiven. Um, the, the, in fact, he, he says there's, there's really no point in comparing who has become a bigger beneficiary of grace because in that parable, both the people go from indebted to not in debt. They, they go from... from uh, you know, one in a hole and one in a really deep hole, and they come up to level ground. And so far in the book of Romans, we've been talking about the grace that brings us forgiveness with God, that sets us on, on right footing in our relationship with God. It is the grace that forgives our sins. And, and Paul is saying that all of the grace that you have received for forgiveness, it brings, it brings everybody to equal footing. It brings everybody to, to, the, same, to the same spot on level ground at the foot of the cross. Some people, it takes, you know, a big step to get up to that level footing of forgiven at the, at the foot of the cross. Some people don't have as many sins, and they, they're just able to accept the grace, and they, they come to, to being forgiven, and, and they're in right relationship, and, you know, it, 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 it's, but it, it's grace from God. And so uh, the, it brings us to the same spot, but um, because it's God's grace, because it's God's grace, the, the question seems to get at this idea like maybe there's only so much of that grace. Maybe there's only so much of that grace. It almost, almost sounds like you know, Paul is asking a question or, or maybe Paul's talking to his imaginary friend again that he's talked to earlier in the book of Romans and, Paul, Paul's asking the question, like, maybe I need to get my hands on some of that grace before somebody else does. Maybe I should sin a little bit more so that I can get, get a little bit more of that grace. But Paul, over and over again, and the Bible over and over again reminds us that grace is not a scarce resource. There, there is no limit to God's grace. For, for believers, grace is like the air we breathe. It is all around us. We are all completely dependent on God's grace in order to be in relationship with God. And, and we don't produce more grace by 
running away from God. We don't produce more grace by accepting God. God's grace is all around us. Just like fish don't produce more water by swimming harder, we can't produce more grace by sinning harder. We can't produce more grace by being better. God's grace is for us all the time. God is always with us. God, God is always offering us his grace. And so we, we can't make more grace. Grace is not scarce. Grace is not a commodity. And this question, it, should we go on sinning, it, it totally fails to understand the nature of, of believing in the promise of God that, that God has promised to bring us to, to level footing, to bring us into good relationship with God. And, and the question, it just totally fails to take into account that, that when people choose to believe the good news about Jesus, they choose to reorient their lives so that they can have good relationship with, with Jesus. And so this is really what Paul talks about in these, these first few verses, couple of paragraphs of, of chapter 6. Paul, Paul talks about the, the way that when we were baptized, we, we identify with Jesus in his death, and, and we decide in, in that moment when we, have, when we have accepted Jesus as our Savior, and we've said out loud to, to the whole world that we, we believe in this message of the gospel, and, and we do that in the act of baptism, uh, in, in that moment, we, we are reorienting our lives around Jesus. We're no longer orienting our lives around sin. We're reorienting our lives around Jesus. And, and so he, he talks about, you know, you, you died to sin. You died to the power of sin, and, and you've been raised back to, to life. And, you know, it's easy to forget in, in the excitement of being baptized, but did you know that when, when you were baptized, if you've been baptized, if you haven't been baptized and you believe in Jesus, you ought to be. If, if you have been baptized, did you know that you made some commitments on the day of your baptism? Uh, when it's, it's easy to forget this. But in, in baptism, when I baptize people, I ask people three questions. There are three questions that come with baptism. The first is, do you, or will you be baptized into this faith? So I start by reading the Apostles' Creed, the, a basic statement of what Christian faith is about. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, begotten of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. You know the rest. And will you be baptized into that faith? That's question number one. Question, question number two, uh, do you recognize Jesus as your personal Savior, and does he save you now? We, we baptize people who are professing to have experienced salvation in Jesus. And so will you, uh, do you recognize Jesus as your Savior? Does he save you now? And the, the third question, the, the one that really we ought to consider you know, I, I should probably pause and not just say yes or no. I should probably, when I baptize people, give people a moment to, to respond. The third question in baptism is, will you obey God's holy will and keep his commandments? When you were baptized, you said yes. I almost guarantee it. I can't guarantee it because I wasn't there, but I, you know, as a pastor, if I, if I asked somebody that question at the moment of baptism and they said, no, I'm going to keep on sinning, man, I, I think we'd have to talk a little bit more before we, we went through with the ceremony. 
we agree when, when we become believers in Jesus, we agree with God that sin is destructive. We agree with God when we, when we accept the gospel, when we accept the forgiveness of our sins from Jesus, we agree with God that, it, that our lives will be better if we orient them around Jesus. If we choose to obey his will, choose to do his will and obey his commands. And we agree that our nature is, is not that. We agree that, that our nature is to turn the truth of God into a lie. We agree that our inclination is away from pleasing God and toward pleasing ourselves and toward sin. And, and so Paul, after he goes through this, this talk about the baptism that we've gone through and, and that we've identified ourselves with, with Jesus in baptism, we've accepted God's, God's goodness to us through baptism, and we've accepted the possibility of freedom from sin in baptism, uh, he gives us three instru- four instructions. There are four instructions, and in verses 12 and 13, he, he sort of sums up the way that we are to walk away from sin. He says at the beginning of verse 12, don't let sin control the way you live. Don't let sin control the way you live. Just don't. He makes it sound so easy. And then in, in the second half of verse 12, he says, don't give in, do not give in to sinful desires. Walk away from, the, from your sinful desires. Don't give in to them. Don't act on your sinful desires. And then at the beginning of verse 13, he says, don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. And this reminds me of Jesus when he's on the Sermon on the Mount. He, he says, uh, you know, if, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Uh, Jesus took, was, was telling us to take sin so seriously. If it, it's, he says it's better to walk through life with one eye than to, to spend eternity away from me. He says, if, if your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. And Paul says, don't let any part of you become an instrument to sin. And then in, in, at the end of verse uh, 13, Paul says, use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Everything that we are is to be an instrument to do right for the glory of God. And these instructions really sum up the reason that we, as believers, we make daily and weekly and monthly and annual rhythms in our lives to keep ourselves following the will of God. Because while Paul says, and it sounds so easy, don't let sin control the way you live, believers, we have the experience of knowing that we need daily and weekly and monthly and annual rhythms to keep ourselves from allowing sin to control the way we live. We, we need to get ourselves in prayer and, and in God's presence every day in order to, to be able to accomplish that. We, we need worship together and encouragement and accountability and prayer with brothers and sisters every day and every week in order to, to, to not give in to sinful desires. We, we need like our annual men's retreat and women's retreat we need the rhythms of, of the seasons of Lent and Advent and, and the, the rhythms of, of fellowship together throughout the year to, to help us to not allow any part of our body to become an instrument of sin. 
And so Paul, Paul gives these instructions as if they might, might be easy, but, but our experience has taught us we, we need to put ourselves in the way of God's mercy in order to, to not continue to allow sin to control us. Uh, we need the help of worship together and prayer for one another. We, we need help. And, and this rhythm in our lives helps us accomplish uh, fulfilling, fulfilling God's will. And, and so with those difficult instructions, though, Paul, Paul sums up his answer to the question, should we go on sinning in verse 14? Verse 14 says, sin is no longer your master. No, you shouldn't continue to sin. No, it won't be better for you if you continue sinning. Uh, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. And with that said, under, understanding that we shouldn't go on sinning and expect that somehow it will turn out to be for our benefit, Paul changes the question. Paul changes the question, and he asks the question that I think I have always thought was the question of, of Romans chapter 6. In, in verse 15, uh, he asks the question, may I? May I? He says, well, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? And he says, of course not. <clears throat> you see, the, the twist on this question is, is Paul, Paul is saying, no, we shouldn't continue to sin and think that it is going to somehow turn out to be for our benefit. We should not. That would be a bad idea. But, but now the question comes, now the question comes, well, if we are free, if, if we've been raised again with Jesus, if we're free from the requirements of the law, can we, can, can we go on doing the things that were against the law? Is that okay? Is it okay to go on doing the things that are against God's will? Is it, is it okay? You know, we're free, right? We're totally free. Can't we? Can't we continue to do, to do kind of whatever we want? And isn't God's grace sufficient? Isn't God's grace going to just take care of us? Even, even though, yeah, the law says, but we've been set free from the law. Can't we, can't we just go on and do that? And Paul, Paul says, no, no way, man. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Paul makes it explicit that, that this, this is about us choosing the direction of our lives. This is about us choosing the direction of our lives, and choosing the direction of our lives, I believe, chooses the, the direction of our eternity. We're getting there in the book of Romans. But Paul's talking right now about choosing the direction of our lives. And, and he, he says sin, sin isn't, isn't about the inadvertent things we do um, to, to, to violate the law of God. You know, there are, there are things that maybe are written in the law of God that, that we don't follow completely because of our own ignorance, that, that we don't do well because, because of our weakness. Paul, Paul isn't talking about that kind of, of sin. Paul's, Paul understands sin to be our choosing to do what we know is wrong. And, and Paul says when we, when we choose to do what we know is wrong, we, we have allowed sin to take control. We have allowed sin to become our master. And he, he goes on and he says, we, we become slave to that thing that we choose to do. 
The, the first half of uh, verse 16, he says, don't you realize you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? Sin is about choosing to obey. Sin is about having that, that desire that we, we know would not honor God and saying, I'm going to do that thing that I know does not honor God. Sin is about, is about choosing to, to fulfill that craving that we, we know is against God's will. The craving is not sinful in and of itself. It is the choosing to obey it. It is the choosing to, to carry through with the action that we know that God has, has called us to walk away from. And so he says, you become a slave to it. You become a slave to sin when you choose to do the things you know that God is calling you not to do. And then in verses 20 and 23, the last four verses of the chapter, he, he talks about what should be our prior lives prior to, to accepting the truth about Jesus and, and our lives now and, and what it looks like when, when we choose God. He says in, in verses 20 through 23, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And, that was the re- and what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I read Paul to be be saying that sin is embarrassing. We look back on the things that we did and, and we are shamed by the things that we did that, that drew us away from, from God. We are now ashamed of those sinful things. And not only were, were those old patterns of life embarrassing, they actually were taking us toward death, toward our own death, to our own demise. And, and on the other side of the coin, when we, when we choose what is right, it leads us to life and freedom from shame. We experience God's, God's good plan for us, which turns out to be freeing from shame. We, we live in the light without embarrassment. And, then, and how does it all happen? How do we go from being shamed to death to, to being obedient to life? At the end of verse 16, Paul, Paul lays it out. He says, you can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God which leads to righteous living. Paul offers us this incredible choice. We can choose to continue to follow the way of sin, live according to the inclination of our nature and our hearts, or we can choose to obey God. And Paul compares our relationship with sin to slavery, right? Isn't that interesting? (laughs) It's slavery. Uh, Sin comes and it takes over. Sin comes and if you give sin an inch, it takes a mile. When, when, we, when we allow sin into our lives, even if we think we are in control, sin handcuffs us and, and takes us prisoner. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever been around a pair of handcuffs? They are, uh, when I was in sixth grade, there was a girl in the neighborhood who, who had a pair of handcuffs and they were, they were heavy. She said that her brother had run away from the police with him. And uh, she was a good influence. 
Um, <laughs> she, uh, she said her brother had run away from the police while wearing them. And she had these handcuffs. She had picked the lock to get them off of her brother's wrists, and uh, she kept them as a trophy from picking the lock. This is the story that was told. They were heavy, and, uh, you know, they, they're just a pretty simple ratcheting mechanism. Like, you know, they come, come down and ratchet a little, little tighter every time you push. And then the lock is pretty simple on it. Like, I don't know if these are real handcuffs or not. It was the early 90s. This was a, it was a simpler time. Um, so one day she convinced me that I should put the handcuffs on. I mean, she had the evidence of having picked the lock, so, I mean, so there I sat, <laughs> waiting for her, and she made it sound so easy. I just picked the lock, it's no problem. And there she was with a, a safety pin right by my wrist, working on it. And every, every time it clicked, rather than clicking a little further open, it seemed like it clicked a little tighter closed. And I started to get a little panicked. It wouldn't have been a good thing to show up at my house <laughs> with a pair of handcuffs on, on my wrists. And, and dinner time was drawing near, I'm sure. Come on, you got to get this, got to get this done. Sin is like that. When, when, we, when we think we're in control, sin is, is handcuffing us tighter. When, when we think, it's not, it's not going to, it's going to just be fine. It's just a fun little experiment. <laughs> it's going to be fine. I'm in control of this. Sin is pulling us deeper and deeper into its orbit. Paul contrasts the, the slavery that we experience in sin to the life that God has promised us through Jesus. He does say we can become slaves to, to Jesus, but when Jesus talks about bringing people to, to follow him, he, he talks about us like animals, like beasts of burden. He, he talks about us like, like oxen. But what, what Jesus says is, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. Take my yoke upon you, you burst beast of burden. You slave to whatever you choose to obey. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said to, that the enemy, the one who will enslave us, who if we give an inch will take a mile, he only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus says of himself, I came so that you may have life and have life abundantly. As, as we pull back from this imagery a little bit and look at the context of, of the book of Romans, what, what we see is, is that at each point in our lives, at each point in, in our journey toward the person of Jesus, God is offering us grace. When we were far away and doing all the things that dishonor God and doing everything that, that was by our own will, God, before we knew it, 
Before we knew we needed it, God was offering us grace. I talked a few weeks ago about that prevenient grace, grace that is there before we know we need it. God was offering us that that grace, and, and all that God was asking us to do was to say, yeah, I believe in that grace. I believe that grace is, is being offered to me. I, be, I believe I, I would like to, to, to understand a little bit more about Jesus who is calling me. And as, as, we, as we begin to accept the grace that, that Jesus is offering us, he, he offers us saving grace. He says, I'll forgive your sins if you just believe it. All you have to do is believe the promise like Abraham. Oh, just believe. Just believe the promise that, that I will set you free from, from your sin. And Jesus is offering that grace. He's saying, your move. Take the step. Take the step. You, you, can, you can believe in this, this grace right now and, and receive salvation. And, and we do. And, and now Paul is talking to people who have received salvation. They've received salvation. They... they their debt has been forgiven. They, they're in, in, in a right relationship with Jesus. But, but Paul says, well, let's not go on sinning anymore. Let's choose to obey God. Let's choose to, to walk away from, from the sin that enslaves us. And, and Jesus offers us the grace, and he says, your move. Your move. Will, will you take the will you take the step? And and as we walk forward through the book of Romans, God is going to continue to offer us grace. He's going to offer us grace to grow so that we don't have to be overcome by sin. He's going to offer us grace for for sanctification that is going to, to allow us to want what God wants. He continues to offer us grace, and every time we accept the grace that God offers, he says, your move. Your move again. There's more grace for you if you will accept it. In this passage, the, the grace that is being offered us is the grace to obey. God wants us to accept the grace that, it, that is offered to us to completely lay down our desires for anything that is not him. God is offering us the grace to surrender completely to him. To say, I'm done being a slave to sin. I am done giving myself over to, to that sin that I'll give it an inch and it takes a mile. I'm done giving myself over to, to the addictive patterns that keep taking me away from God's goodness for me. God is offering us his grace and he, he is saying, your move. Will, will you take the step? Will, will you accept the grace that, that I've given you? I, I got overcome by, by a worship song before, before I got up here and I talked about how God's goodness is running after us. It, it, it doesn't matter how, how far away we wander. God's, God is right there with us, offering us grace, saying, your move. It's, it's, just, it's just 
accepting the grace that is there. That's, a, that's the only move we have to make. Accept the goodness that he is, he is pursuing us with. And so this morning, I'd, I'd just invite you to, to accept the grace that is being offered to you this morning. It doesn't matter if you, you don't know if you've taken a first step of faith at all yet, or if you've taken a million steps of faith in your life to this point. There is grace being offered to you this morning. God is saying, your move, come on, come on a little further with me. Come and, and, and accept this grace that is being offered. Re- receive the promise that, that you could be set free and made new. Come on, it's your move. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, before we knew it, before we knew we needed your grace, you were offering it to us. All of our lives, you have been good to us. Every breath that we have breathed in and every time we have exhaled, you have been right there with us, offering us grace. You've been, you've been inviting us to lay down our lives completely to you. You've been inviting us to experience your goodness for us. And so, God, this morning we, we hear you calling. We hear your goodness calling out to us. We hear the offer of your grace that we could obey. And Lord, we we ask that you would give us the grace to accept it. We pray that you would help us to, to take a step forward in the grace that you are offering us. We pray, Lord, that you you would continue to call out to us and that we would hear clearly as you call us more and more into your presence, deeper in to your goodness, closer to your heart, so that we may experience freedom, so that we may experience the the easy burden of Jesus so that we may experience the abundant life that Jesus has promised. We hear the call from Romans chapter 6 to obey. Lord, in our hearts, we want to give you everything that is in us that that takes us away from obedience to you. We want to surrender completely, Lord, to your will. 
We want to walk away from the things that trip us up and make us slaves to sin. We know that you are offering us the grace to do just that. So Lord, here we are. Here we are as men and women who want to walk in your grace and obey you completely and experience your goodness in a new and fresh way. And so God, we, we give what we can to you. We give all that we are to you. We choose, Lord, to obey and follow you. Receive what we give, Lord, and make what you can of it. We trust your goodness to make something great, Lord. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you just stand with me? Let me dismiss you with, with the words at the end of uh, Romans 6.16. You can choose to obey God, which leads to righteousness and life. God bless you as you walk in obedience to him this week. You're dismissed.